over here. You look like a person of <clears throat> distinctive tastes. Well, you've come to the right place. Follow me through this alley. To the wrong side of the tracks. Through this sewer pipe. And around, and around the bed. bed. To the sleazy, slimy world called the funny, the funny book book underbelly. underbelly. Hello and welcome to the Funny Book Underbelly. This is episode number three. I'm Chris Honeywell. I'm here with Johnny Bueno. Yo. And this time, oh, we're going hardcore. <clears throat> hardcore! You know, we started out, we had uh, basically a good good starting point. We had the guy who's uh, doing the, the underground uh, price guide. And uh, then we uh, went on to one of our favorites, Dennis Warden. Now here's something... Sort of the Rosetta Stone of underground comics. We're going to cover Zap Comics. I think it's a good way of calling it Rosetta. I was going to say the uh, the Mount Rushmore of underground comic huh. comic creators, but uh, it's it is that too. It's sort of the action comics of underground comics too. It truly is in a lot of ways, and I think um, with R. Crumb being Superman, basically, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, but just. You know, I, I've been doing a lot of... I have a couple of, of books about underground comics. And uh, w- the one that I read a lot is called uh, Comics, The Underground Revolution by Des Skin. And uh, some really good things down there uh, about this. And Rick Griffith... Um, Bill Griffith was um, saying that with, with Zap and what Crumb did to start, it kind of was the first of its kind as opposed to uh, anything else. Because the first two zaps, number one and then number zero, which were just about done by Robert Crumb, the, 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 you know, I mean, they weren't nearly as uh, sexual overt <laughs> overtones as some of the other stuff, but, um, you know, there's still a lot of swearing in some adult situations in those comics. And just the momentum and building up to them when they came, it was like a real seminal moment. You know, I was talking about something like that the other day. I was like, Action Comics, number one. Fantastic Four, number one. Um, you know, someone would say, some people would would talk about when the JLA came back in, in the early 60s or, or Flash, or number four there. But, um, yeah, I definitely think, or 104, Zap Comics, number one, is the same sort of thing, where it's like all these different things building up all came together at the right place at the right time and just exploded yep and it was, it was it's the famous R. Crumb walking down hate street selling zap number one out of what was it like a baby <laughs> baby carriage, carriage yeah and 68 on the hate and they were and, saying that the first the first printings which has the Charles Plumel printing on the back Plumel told them that they made about 5,000 of them, but they show all these different, like, um, just rejected covers and stuff because they're all, it was like a big party and, you know, people were like whacked out of their minds trying to make this stuff, trying to trying to make, you know, something mechanical. And I guess he said really only about 1,500 of them were made of the very first one. And a bunch of them they just sold to uh, the one shop down the street there. Um, that was really the first comic book store in San Francisco. He bought the majority of those. I'm, sh- I'm sure those are worth a pretty penny. But but then after that, it sort of became basically an anthology book. Right, right. It, be- it became sort of our crumb, like grabbing all his friends and going, "All right, let's." Uh... And also, the much easing his workload. I'm sure. <laughs> well, absolutely. And and what was interesting about it. In, in reading uh, Victor Moscoso, what he was saying was that in between him, you know, and, and all the guys that were doing a psychedelic poster art at the time, um, including Mouse and, and, and Kelly and, right. and, and Rick Griffin, you know, uh, Moscoso and, and Griffin, they came in and, and zapped number two 
and they actually kind of legitimized the magazine because the first two are just kind of homemade, handmade, you know, with with Donahue's printing press. But um, number two, with that iconic picture, the bright co- bright yellow cover, and the you know that that boingy kind of look. I mean, that was a lot of that. The, they made like twenty thousand copies that, or something like that. They made a lot more of them. Let's put it that way. And um, the big push, you know, the reason why people were able to put money into it was because of those comic book, uh, the, those uh, poster artist guys, Moscoso and, and Rick Griffin. Rick Griffin, uh, famous for uh, Grateful Dead covers, and uh, Moscoso did a whole bunch of Jimi Hendrix uh, posters right. and, and stuff like that. So those two guys came on board, and then at the same time, S. Clay Wilson came aboard, and, you know, with... With his smut, I mean, he was truly the, <laughs> the king of the smut. I mean, well, he he wasn't just straight up smut too. His smut was smutty smut, dirty exactly. and greasy. It was sort of William S. Burroughs like I mean, and, and depraved. And and they they asked him about that as far as his influence on Crumb, and he essentially just said that you know. <laughs> He just told me need to open things up a little bit, and you know I think the rest we all know is history with, with that where he started getting into all the incest and, and all that stuff. Well, there's always a big theme of like um, sadomasochism and right bodily and fluids, and cruelty. Sa- you know, just you know, sa- the, same with Spain too. Right, Spain too. But you know, as a res- if it wasn't for. For, for Wilson influencing Crumb uh, to take Zap down down a couple of pegs, let's just say, <laughs> that we wouldn't have all the other classics, right? The pork comic books like Pork or Jizz or Snatch or, or dare I say, even Cunt Comics. Dare you. Know? you. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, all those comics fed out of that, uh, of that same thing with, with Zap number two. And then, you know, at the same time, they were talking about how um, you had, um, what's his name, a couple other guys come on board as well. Um, what's his name from the Freak Brothers there? Uh, Gilbert Shelton Gilbert came Shelton. aboard. Right. And they just kept on adding guys after Robert that. Williams Robert started Williams. Robert Williams. showing up, yep. Right, exactly. So, gotta love it. Um, well... Before we start our in-depth analysis of Zap, um, before we we, we I thought we already comment. were. <laughs> hey, well, bef- before we get too in-depth into it, let's uh, let's uh, go over our favorite issues of uh, of Zap, or at least uh, what we'll reveal and talk about our favorite issues of Zap. I, w- I went first last time, so uh, oh, so you well. get to go first this time. Yeah, um, well, I would probably say number number one and number two, both of them for 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 the same reasons. One because one was number one, but then number two because you introduce all the other guys that that got involved. And oh, by the way, there's also um, as uh, outside of the fifteen issues of Zap, there's also a couple other ones. Well. We could talk about as far as oddities in the in the zap as well. So uh-huh. I would go with number two, um, just because it's it is so seminal as far as one of the first montage books of, of, of different artists. You know, um, one of the first. I think Bijou Funnies might have beat it by a couple of months, but right. So, anyways, with Zap Comics number two. Starts off with the super psychedelic cover, and then it jumps right into on the inside front cover, where we get into um, uh, we, we we get into Rick Griffin a little bit. But one of the great things about um, all the about all the zaps once once uh, the group jumped in was that they would also do a bunch of jam type covers or jam type right. drawings together. So and that that's what created uh, one issue they called just called Zam, which was you know Zap Jams only. So um, Hamburger High Fun, uh, classic one after what Crumb had done in number one with uh, with 
with all the different cartoon condiments. He he brings them back with this guy uh, who uh, decides he wants to go to the diner to get a uh, <laughs> so Jesus K. Rice is his name mm-hmm. <laughs> to get himself a, a cheeseburger. But of course, uh, at once he eats the food, the condiments basically come up and threaten him that it's uh, bad for him and he freaks out and next thing you know he runs out and then gets <laughs> run over by a car and it's just out of control he just goes from being this super dapper guy in a in a suit and a fedora to <laughs> sobbing on the curb after getting the shit beat out of him by everything it's you know classic it's it's you know. It's got the class. It doesn't end like, but I'll have another cheeseburger or something. Exactly. And he's back to you know, back to the bouncy normal guy. Yeah, he's gonna have another cheeseburger, and it's got the keep on. Yeah, you know, trucking, high stepping, and it's even got a couple of animals in there, and and all that. <laughs> and then uh, after a, a quick two-page Moscoso uh, piece, you get Angel Food McSpade. Uh, an early appearance of her, the Zap Comics Dream Girl of the Month. And that just is, as you could quite imagine. Um, Pushing the limits of good taste and political, and destroying all boundaries of political correctness. You know, before I was really in underground comics back in the mid-90s, and I used to hang out at your place, and I used to see those angel food McSpades. I... I didn't have a lot of respect for you. <laughs> I gotta admit, I'm like, I can't believe he keeps that shit around. It's like so racist. It reminded me of my dad. You know? You're like, oh no, it's great. And I was like, now the, the switch finally hit. And I was like, now yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I mean, who doesn't like Angel Fubix Spade? But then, you know, there, there's a lot of really cool psychedelic stuff here with Mickey Mouse. Several pages um, with uh, Rick Griffin as well as Moscoso. Um, and then you get into your first S. Clay Wilson with uh, the Hog Riding Fools. And uh, I'm not sure how much you remember about this one, but it's just, his, it's funny because his lines are a little bit cleaner in this one. They're not quite as detailed. I actually like it a little bit more. There's a lot of the Zap comics that are like that. I think a lot of these guys were drawing some of their stuff quicker to get it into the issue. So uh, Crumb's stuff, too, is a little more cartoony in Zap than a right. lot of his stuff where he would get ultra, ultra detailed. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's cool because we get, finally get the Checker Demon. And one of the first times we get to see Checker Demon uh, in, in Zap and, you know, an ongoing character in Zap. And that was the thing. I think a lot of these guys, I mean, Crumb obviously had a ton of different characters in, in Zap, but a lot of these guys, um, you know, between what Robert Williams was doing with his Coochie Cootie and Checkered Demon, they all make their different appearances. They were kind of dedicated towards towards Zap, you know. Um, Trash Man from Spain, he, he showed up mm-hmm. quite a bit. And then... Uh, yeah, the the other one is probably the, the most popular or most talked about as Kelly Wilson is just that one pager called Head First. I'm assuming you're you're aware of that one where the two pirates are talking and the guy's talking about how long his 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 schlong is. He's like, Oh yeah? He's like, Oh, I don't believe you and he's like so he like whips it out. The guy's like, My thunder, what a whopper. Next thing you know, the guy's bragging about it, and the guy who's like covering his eyes pulls out a knife and just cuts the the head of the freaking guy's dick off. <laughs> and then freaking good times, yeah, stabs it with his knife, his machete, and puts it in his mouth and starts munching on it. It's like six six and a half panels, and the story and the result of it is just. Changed really the history. I think as far as comics is, I mean, it's just so crude and so cruel and so savage, and yet so very well drawn. You know, museum type quality of illustration. You know, yes, that and was that's, that was really, I think, the marriage. And then well, uh, 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 it should be also mentioned that a good portion of these guys are like 
probably, you know, you could are probably like legitimately mentally ill <laughs> in yeah. one way or another, you know, from Robert. Cr- I've, I've heard lots of stories about um, S. Clay Wilson. Yeah, he's unfortunately not doing very well. He had some right. illness, and then he got hit, got in a car accident. And yeah, our buddy Dan Fogel is doing a lot. That's what the Snatch uh, Anthology was all about, was to raise Wilson, money for S. Clay Wilson. Yeah, so. a lot of these guys are getting up in the years now, too. Like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a lot of those people from that time period. You think about... You know, friends that you and I have, personal friends, and now they're creaking around. They're only, what, you know, 20 years older than us? Right, right. But, they, I mean, they act like they're 82 more than they're 62. <laughs> yeah, and these guys might have a, about a decade on them, too. Exactly, exactly. And then, uh, you know, there, there's a couple other things in here, but it wraps up with a pretty funny um, Mr. Natural story. This one... You definitely could tell it's one of the early ones because Mr. Natural is not quite as detailed. Flaky Flint is is geez, he's he's got some detail, but some of these he's he's almost like a stick boy and um, yeah. that's pretty good. And then um I love this last part here. This is just so classic. I just have memories of um looking at all my parents uh vinyl with the um Rick Griffin with all the eyeballs that he was doing. With, remember that with the, uh, mm-hmm. the the single eyeball and the mustache and all that. You know, stuff that just went beyond just comics, but in just in pop culture in general. And you even got the snoid on the back here too, which is pretty good. <laughs> the snoid, Mister Snoid, Mister Snoid, decades before avoiding the noid. <laughs> Who has is- a couple of three D comics out, by the way? Really? Yeah. They came out like 20 years ago. I actually own them. I just remember all the pizza boxes that you would get with the Noid on them from <laughs> when I was in high school to when I was in college, how many Noid pizza boxes you would just see kicking around. Yeah. Well, well, Jack and I never tell what comics we pick, and last time we picked the same comic, but this time we picked different ones, but you called the one that I picked somehow. Mm-hmm. Out of all the zaps, and that's zap number seven. I don't know why. What what was it that made you think that I was I was gonna like this one? Well, because that was one I was actually thinking about picking myself, mostly because of the uh, the cum the the cum <laughs> the Robert cum the the Robert Crumb Crumb on Crumb. Oh, where, okay, yeah. Where he's just sort that. of vamping for like three or four pages. Yeah, I love that. That's like one of my all-time favorites. He like he picks his tooth and then he spits something out, and he's just looking at his fingers and whistling. I love it. It's just yeah. sings a little song. Yeah, this is like then just like fuck it. <laughs> just stands there with a <laughs> with a flycatcher look on his face. Exactly. Well, it's fun. This is one of the the original zaps that I have too which always makes it a little better because they always have more character you know all the reprints I have were hey probably I probably got them in the mid 90s Mm -hmm. let me see if they have a date on them well they say 1968 in there but these were obviously you know they're obviously printed now you know they have glossy covers I like the you know the original ones are beat down and like a good underground comic should be well read yes they're definitely well read all in one piece but but well read and it has a a Spain cover on it and it's not one of my favorite covers it's like a masked figure you know sort of like bust of a masked figure who looks like a sort of futuristic airman sort of thing crossed with you know a a, general right a general and sort of it has a has a bit of a military cross with, you know, old movie serial look to it. And then, you know, of course, on each inside cover, you've got uh, you, two, two horribly violent jams. Um, yes, yeah, sex and violent jams. And it starts out with a, a Spain story called Sangrella, which is 
just basically, I think, you know, as a lot of these um, underground comics are, is just an elaborate beat-off fantasy for, for the artist. Which, whatever, it becomes an elaborate beat-off fantasy for other people who read it or who are of the bent of Spain, which is a f- truly bent bent. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a futuristic sort of, advent, you know, S&M story. You know, featuring this sort of warrior woman and her her slave girl and her flying winged machine. And I, I like how they drag out the, uh, the the male species like a like a pet that's that's almost extinct. Well, yeah, he he had that's a lot a running theme in his comic of women just dominate being completely dominant of men, and uh, and you know completely you know warrior warrior women amazon types and then you have your classic of all classic underground comic stories you got a a fat freddy's cat story how can you go wrong with that involving of course a bust and and the cat getting basically getting everything he wants because they get busted you know it just sets off a whole (laughs) rube goldberg uh thing then you got another another jam all the jams in this one look pretty much the same they're just elaborate like sex and <laughs> dioramas of sex and violence yeah i mean it's pretty obvious that s clay wilson's one who started these ones off and then you got a weird um yeah i uh, think it's rick griffin rick griffin thing that that's just sort of like illustrated then it has a whole you know john the whole john 316 quote and it's very hit, and then it has sort of his iconic poster of the, of the Mexican or the uh, I guess you're, it's a Mexican guy. You don't see his face, but somebody in a sombrero taking a siesta under a cactus. I Just, didn't understand the page before that with the girl holding the water jug. Some sort of Eve in the Garden of Eden and the, uh, hippies things. People are taking a lot of acid these days. What can you say? Yeah, a lot of acid. Then you got a great Mr. Natural story, which very similarly to the one you were talking about is nicely illustrated, but you can tell it's not the most detailed crumb ever, but it's a great story. It's basically where Mr. Natural meets God and he looks like the TJ's big boy in a, (laughs) in a business suit. Right. And he basically just hates, instantly hates him and tries to destroy him in various ways, but it just doesn't work. And, you know, when he gets gets back to civilization you know there's there's people worshiping him and let's see we got a um what is this another spain story it's like a one pager then we've got a, a robert williams uh hooking and jabbing with zeke the zook which is a pretty nice robert williams story but yeah we'll just skip over that because we're going to get to the really good uh the muff diving fool mm-hmm. um then we have uh, another S. Clay Wilson, the, the the futuristic glimpse, which is another dystopian S and M female dominated world of depravity and. Now you got to remember, this is like at the height of underground comics too, because con- I mean this this a lot of this work was made in seventy three, and that right. was that was right when you know right around the time when all of a sudden the. Um, the federal government stepped in and said that, you know, people can talk about what is pornographic and what is not. So uh, essentially the, the entire underground comic book scene just collapsed because no one could find anything anymore yeah. without fear of being arrested. Well, what's funny about S. Clay Wilson's work is it's extremely pornographic and extremely tasteless, extremely nicely drawn, but it's so dense that there's no sense of real design to it when when right. you first look at it when you open up a page it looks just like it almost comes off as gray you know what i mean it's just right. it's just so busy and your eye doesn't know where to go it literally doesn't know where to go if you didn't have you know each individual frame segmented off you would don't, wouldn't know what to do with yourself and that's why that that story in zap number 2 with the checkered demon is so in, neat because it is a lot less detailed. Right, right. So you can actually see what's going on. But with this, like if you were like a G-man and you were going into the comic shop, 
you could flip right by an ex Clay Wilson story and maybe not think that you've seen anything vile if you're you know if you're just you know your eyes As just looking to, to Spain where Spain is just like just poking you right un- in the eye underscoring it yeah right. but but with the, with with this you have to like once you start paying attention it's just like holy shit that's vile right but you have to actually pay attention and and start looking at it and then uh, we get to the reason that I picked this issue it's a um Robert Williams story called The Mentor in the Mason Jar which is sort of just an a horribly gross depraved um version of uh now I can't remember the name of the cartoon but with the frog the looney tunes hello my baby hello my honey one oh, frog yeah. evening or whatever it was WB frog there and it's like this guy that works in the dump who basically looks like this sort of weird Popeye mixed with some sort of mammal creature with a with suspenders on with he looks a, a little kind of, bit like Watto like he does look a little bit like Watto with like a, a case of really bad inflamed testicles right and uh, he finds this, this jar full of like parts and it, it, it basically it comes to life and he finds out if he heats it up it, it, it sort of tortures it and it'll give him wishes it could tell him where money is, and it makes him rich. And you know, eventually the uh, the jar makes off on its own and has a whole career as a as a rock singer. And uh, he he tries to, he go gets poor, tries to steal the the mason jar full of parts back, but it's actually died. And, but and he keeps attempting to make more. And uh, it, it's a weird twist because he makes a fake one to replace the rock star one, but it actually still goes off to <laughs> stardom. And at the end, it has him being confronted with a mason jar thing that's come to visit him that has a case of the clap. <laughs> but I just love Robert Williams' artwork. I I know you're not a big fan, but I just... It's not my favorite, but, you know, it's... Let's put it this way. I'll take it over... Uh... You know, spectacular Spider-Man drawn by Sal Bushima any day. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but that's you know that's what I just I just love his his style. People might be familiar like his most famous thing I think he ever did was I guess would be the uh, cover of that um, the original Appet- Appetite for Destruction Appetite for Destruction for, for by Guns N' Roses. Right, and. Uh, you know, which got in, it, it, in trouble for being misogynistic and right, and uh, and it well, it was fairly racy, <laughs> fairly well, racy for an uh, album cover, not maybe for a Zap comic, but no. for an album cover for sure. I mean, it, not only was it racy, but it was also brutal. It was brutal, yes, but it was. It's like he he like does especially his sort of paintings, his one panel paintings are you know and and i guess it's yeah they're like yeah they're like a panel from a cartoon they're very cartoony paintings but they they're they're sort of sim they're very symbolic they're not sort of symbolic they're just very symbolic they're almost like um political cartoons or something so yeah. i don't know why people take them seriously you know i mean that was that that the appetite for destruction cover was you know definitely you know not meant to be a literal depiction of something because if anything like that was happening, then that means you're insane or on LSD or something like that. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so was there something else you want to talk about with Zap 7 or... No, that's about all I got to say. And after that comes that whole Robert Crumb thing we were talking about. With, right, right. He starts... <laughs> it's great. I, I It's one of the first things I ever read about uh, Crumb and it's like a classic, you know, it's just... Really, kind of let you feels if you, you're knowing that person there at that moment, what he's doing, what's going on, and see, I think like for with, with, like my never, I I never like whenever whenever I read R. Crumb, I never took his stuff to be racist. I always took it to be, but then again, I've been reading him since I was a little little kid, so I had a long time to to not. 
you know and where where i was i was reading our crumb out of the the um coevolution quarterly which came from the you know we keep mentioning it in this show from the whole earth catalog which was the biggest hippy dippy you know non-racist anti-racist you know publications ever so i just assumed as a kid that the adults that must have done the thinking out on that and uh Deemed it not racist somehow because I never took it as that, you know. I always yeah, you're desensitized. Well, I always, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I came to figure it was just him poking fun at the actual, you know, he has a fascination with the the graphic design of the 30s and 40, the 20s, and the, actually from the aughts to the yeah, you know, that was his thing. He 40s. was essentially a guy born in the wrong time period. And there was a lot of racist artwork in those days and advertising. Well, mostly, you know, advertising that was just taken as a matter of course, you know. And I'm like, sure. what, what? Well, there was there was a lot of racism going on, separate bathrooms and backs of the buses and everything else. I mean, right. And and he grew up around that. I mean, one of his famous, and I don't know where it first got printed, but um. It was just a one-page ad he did for. It was like can nigger hearts. Remember that? And then oh yeah. Has has angel food McSpade on the counter, like with her mm. lips, big lips, and like her tongue smacking out, like mm mm good, you know. Oh, Get sure. you some of those, and it's like, and and you're looking at that thing going, oh my god, you know, that's that's insane. But then you see some of the real things from that time period. And it was um, no different, really. He just accentuated it. There was a, there was that movie um, that was a fake documentary in the style of like the Civil War documentaries from PBS that was about you know if the if the South had won the Civil War and I don't even know if it was if the South had won the Civil War or if just if slavery had stayed in the United States if we had kept slavery and it had all these these products you know. The, these totally racist products and racist ads, and I was watching that, going, "Okay, they're going over the top with this, you know. This is just ridiculous and stuff." And then at the end of the movie, they're like, "All the products that you saw were real products, you know, back in the twenties and and all that." We just, you know, tried to see what their advertising campaign would be like, and it's like, "Holy shit, those were real products." <laughs> You know, those were on store shelves at one time. You know, those were in every five and dime store. It's like crazy. What? I can't remember the names of any of them off the top of my head. I, w- I wish I could remember the name of the mo- of the movie. You know, um, off the but I I just remembered it just now, and um, but yeah, there. I mean. I mean, my father used to have a poster of, you know, three three little black kids that all look like buckwheat, you know, with the spiky hair and eating watermelons and, you know, with all sorts of little quotes underneath them and, you know, yeah. unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and I, I appreciate those, like, I would be the kind of guy who, like, you would find a garage full of those stuff. <laughs> things in my garage because I find them amazing. I'm I'm actually thinking about building a collection of of you know some of the 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 um you know there's lots of anti Obama like bumper stickers and stuff that are just like no Obama and stuff like that right. whatever that you know and when Obama! George Bush, <laughs> Come on. But the, you know the <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I love Hank Williams Jr., man. What a, what a freak. So, the you know, I mean, when Bush was president, there was all, all, all kinds of Bush bumper stickers and stuff. But when, you, you know, when you get to the stuff that, that's like borderline or over-the-top racism that you can still – I'm thinking a collection of that stuff one day is going to be a, like, historically significant. Absolutely. You know, uh, well, I think I think I mean, you know, I've had conversations with with people like like Fogel in the past, and you know, I I, th- I think we've even talked about it briefly on this show. I mean, un- a lot of these '60s underground comics, especially these apps, are the same sort of thing. You know, they're they they capture 
you know, the what, what's going on with the time at, you know, what was going on at that time very well is, is, right. is a form of expression. They're basically I mean, all, they're, they're, they're pieces of art. I mean, you never can put it past an artist to be a fascist or a racist or something like that. It, it happens right. even in underground stuff, you know, but this, you know, and you have to consider the time and the place of this, which was San Francisco in the 60s. So it wasn't really a place where like, Although, you know, you got your, your S. Clay Wilsons and Spains who definitely have a sort of biker um, aspect yes. to it, yes. which which could definitely veer into the ra- racist territory rather quickly, you know, when mm-hmm. you start talking about, you know, bikers and stuff like that, especially in that, you know, the Hells Angels in that time period and stuff. But and it's like, you know, people, people don't, you know, they think punk rock symbolizes this, but they don't think like... I can't remember which Ramon it was, but wasn't one of the Ramones like a total like Republican fascist Nazi? Like, yeah, I gu- think like it was. Um, I think it was Didi, wasn't it? I don't think it was Didi. Man, I wish we had one of those guys like on those sports shows that like at the end of your show tell you all the things that you actually said incorrectly. Incorrectly. I feel that's like called our, that's a, called our audience. They they write into the into the forum. I feel and, like and I'm like. Yeah, really bad percentage of guesses tonight. I don't know. I'm just I'm tired. Well, we're just sort of bringing stuff out, up out of the air too. About, uh, it's been know, a hey, long week. It's like it's like you know, tr- in a comic book show, all of a sudden you're confronted with which one of the Ramones was a fascist <laughs> Nazi and carried a, he would ca- I know he used to carry around a briefcase full of porn and guns. <laughs> that sounds like D.D. King, <laughs> D.D. Ramone. Because you know Joey, I mean Joey was a big in the undergrounds. I mean he wrote, he wrote the war, you know all those songs, Pinhead and and all that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I but I, to your point, I mean that's why you know without getting too much off topic from Zap, that's why Snatch Comics number two is just <laughs> so incredible with that picture of Angel Food McSpade on the on the front. You know, it's just. Holy Jesus. What did my buddy call it? He called it Sambo. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I haven't heard that word in a long time. Well, there used to be a food chain called Sambo's. I know. Um, He's like, what's with the Sambo, brah? <laughs> but the thing about our crumb is our crumb spent equally equal amount of time, if not more time, just tearing white people up and down, up and down. I mean... He had one character named White Man, you know. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and um, what's his name? Mister Natural's foil there. Um, Flaky we were just Flint. Flaky Foot was totally, you know, the white bread, uptight, you know, uptight guy. Yeah, just never, never underestimate the influence of LSD. That's all I gotta say. Words never spoken more true. <laughs> These comics are are living proof of it. Well, yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, white man is you know the front page of of Zap number number one. I mean, the first one, <laughs> which is great because while there's nothing in here super duper, you know, sexual wise like he was getting later or graphic. I mean, still, it's you know, it's it was what he did just kind of blaze the trail for everybody else to just kind of jump on board and, and do their thing in his wake. It just the just everything about Zap and, and what Crumb did with Zap number one, essentially it's just like, we're not going to make comics the way comics are made anymore, like Marvel and DC always did, and or, or bad pretenders like like Charlton or, or, or Gold Key or anybody else. No, these actually like for influences seem to draw more back to like <laughs> old Carl Barks Disney and stuff. Well, I think Carl Barks mixed with some Tijuana Bible and yes, a, a lot of Vietnam, Viet, you know, war sarcasm and mm-hmm. the drugs and the and drugs. lots of drugs, and lots of drugs. And uh, just to flip through some of the covers of these apps, I got you got number three is the infamous 69 issue which is one that you can flip over you know it's yeah. it's printed up one way and down the other way yeah in the in the 
typical uh, 69. Another one, another one of my favorites is number six with a uh, Gilbert Shelton doing. Um, Oh, who is the guy who used to do all the plop covers? It's basically it looks Basil like a Wolverton. Basil Basil it's basically a Basil Wolverton plop comic. Right. Except you know, Zaps actually there's not much on this to make it any different than um than Basil it could very well it could you could actually put it, it definitely on there. looks like he's aping it you know doesn't it yeah there's a lot of aping in this this issue on the back cover of this issue it's got a great art crumb ad you know but that's you what can, they do I mean you that's... can help solve the overpopulation problem commit suicide with a happy clown you know <laughs> and then like pictures of of people and their testimonials yeah Number um, number eight's one of my all-time favorites. Yes, yes. I was just I was just gonna say that's another one of the ones I've got the original to, and that's the guy who's got his brain out on the table in a pan, and, and he's holding one of his at, eyeballs, and yeah, he's got one eyeball in the socket and one eyeball looking at the other eyeball. He's got a screwdriver next to it, so apparently he like used a screw screwdriver to to remove his his brain. Well, on the knife that's sitting there on the on the corner <laughs> too. Um, number four is one of those comics that actually raise a lot of eyebrows as well. I don't and, have uh, number four. Oh, you don't? No. The one with Mister Peanut on the front. No. There's a Moscaso uh, cover on the front of, of Mister Peanut, and then on the back, it's actually a wraparound cover. You get to see uh, Mr. Peanut pulling off the top is his top hat, uh, revealing that he actually is a penis head. <laughs> so that one, uh, a little always, more risque. Always tasteful. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's the ever famous Dare to Moon the Devil issue, but with the Robert Williams cover, which I have a reprint of that. I somewhere I have the original of that. I don't know where it is. I don't know why it isn't here with my other zaps, but I have the original of this one. And this is one of the ones, I don't know if they printed it on cheap paper the first time through or whatever, but it like had almost faded to where you couldn't really read it. Yeah, mine's not like that. I actually was thinking about doing number four or two. That one's classic. It's got Wonder Warthog in it. And uh, a nice big long one here. I mean, it's... Two, three, four, yeah. Number four's got Joe Blow. <laughs> where essentially that's the one where Crumb really crossed the line. He's like, "Hey, I'm gonna go pop this pill." Then he pulls out his Wang and calls his daughter over and just says, "Basically, suck it." And then next thing you know, the mother's in the bed. The son, the son walks in and sees what's going on. He's like, "Holy cow!" And he runs downstairs and tells his mother. And she makes the moves on them, and it's all downhill from from there. <laughs> yeah. But the family foursome right into an Eskimo Wilson called a story called a ball a ball in the bonghole. Nice. <laughs> yeah, from worst to worst, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, you, the one thing about Zaps is they were consistent. <laughs> They had they a consistent really look. They had a consistent taste level, which was down below the floor. And yeah, you know, I was perusing through some of the later ones, like you know, after like eleven through fifteen and all that. Right, right. And you know, not that I'm complaining or anything, but there's definitely less Wilson and um, and, and Crum and more Moscoso and um, and Spain. But you know, there's there's nothing wrong with that either, quite frankly. Well, I you know I never was as fond of them as as I think they were better poster artists really than they were as comic artists. Their comics always come off as being sort of just like fluffy to me. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, there's that. I mean, Moscoso didn't really do a lot as far as writing, but it's a lot of Robert Williams too. Robert Williams, Moscoso, and uh, and Spain. Um, you know, certainly. Uh, See, I can't get enough of Robert Williams, so I never, never, that never bothered me. Yeah, I'm trying to think about, he didn't really do a lot of comics outside of Zap. He did his one Coochie Cootie, and I think he's got a couple other, but as far as individual comics go, I think he was no. just, he's just more on the graphics. 
He did a cu- couple mini comics, and then there's a bunch of collections where they collected a bunch of his zap right. stuff or, or, or odds and ends that he did here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, his paintings are his. You know, I mean, there's there's some nice coffee table books of Robert Williams paintings for the adventurous <laughs> out there, right? That are great. You know, they're, I, I I love his style. I mean, that that guy. Um, we were just talking about. You have a bunch of uh, seven inches up on eBay and that guy Coop did the cover of what was one of the King Missiles? Was it a King Missile? Yeah, I think so. And that guy Coop, I think he totally bit Robert Williams' style. Oh, completely. I think he he totally like introduced it to an audience that wasn't familiar with Robert Williams and sort of became you know, famous for it. So Mm -hmm. I've always always been biased against Coop. Not a big fan, huh? No. I mean, it's all coming from that same place, that sort of 50s car art, you know what I mean? Oh, like... Um, Pin-up art and those cartoons, comics and stuff like that, you know? The very, you know, sty- stylized yet realistic, like, females and stuff. Uh-huh. Like like, like Rat Fink and um, what was that other... Who was the name of that guy who did uh, all the surf stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it has a very 50s style that, that you know, the style the style of stuff that appeals to, you know, like the rockabilly tattoo. It has a lot of tattoo art to it, too. Yeah. I guess that that would be actually one of, one of the big things. But, yeah, definitely he, he, he ripped off Robert Williams. I was lucky enough once to be in New York City and got to go to this place called the Psychedelic uh, I think it was called the Psychedelic Solution. Uh-huh. And it was a little store for, second store second floor store on in you know the Greenwich Village area that had original psychedelic art hanging there and they had a whole bunch of Robert Williams stuff in there and it was amazing. Cool. The originals are really large. They were really really neat. Yeah. What like 3 large. feet yeah, like three feet tall. Yeah, like really l- l- large paintings. Mm. It's I'm used to I'm used to like seeing a painting in a book, and then when you go see it in real life, it's like, oh, that's a lot smaller than I, I right. thought it was going to be. I mean, I I I would have hate I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in the early days of Zap, but I have a feeling, as it went on, <laughs> you know. Um, the egos and the insanity and the drugs and all that probably made it. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying before. There's a lot of people that wanted to be in, you know, they want to be part of zap and it's always been kind of an exclusive club. I mean, last guy who got in was, uh, Paul McVrady's, right? Yeah. And that, and geez, that was a long time ago. (laughs) I know he only did like the last couple issues, and mm-hmm. he'd been working with Gilbert Shelton for years. For so. years and years and years. But I mean, outside of him, I think they only did that because you know Rick Griffin died. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, you know, trying to get every getting everyone back together and doing jam covers as they've gotten older, and you know, Crumb for sure is a recluse and doesn't want to get involved with a lot of that stuff anymore so what are you gonna do you know all great things come to an end I'd love to see him continue out with Zap but you know you don't want it it's to their point what Esley what I was reading what Esley Wilson was saying is, is they didn't want the quality to go down you know they wanted to continue to put more issues out but they didn't want yeah, you know. and, and like and like most underground comics, this wasn't something that was coming out monthly either. You know, it was. It was well, number one came out in nineteen sixty eight, and number fifteen came out in two thousand four. Right, exactly. I mean, I've got number six in my hand. It says two years in the making, over over two years in the making. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> it was. It, you, you know, you don't you don't hold your breath for. For a lot of these undergrounds and lucky for us you know we started you know by the time we started collecting them they they had a whole bunch of them out it was i i remember being kind of amazed 
that you know that they were still coming out <laughs> when I was an adult, and I'm like, and they were in the low issues, you know, <laughs> right? It's like number ten, really, or number twelve, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. The stick to itiveness for sure. Well, you know, and, and over all those years, it really does have a consistent look to it and feel to it. If you have them all in a stack like I do, and you start thumbing through them, it doesn't seem like you know, years and years in between. No, no, but you, it's the same people doing them too. Yes. And I, you know, I think they kind of hold to, I I, I think there's something to be said about what a Zap comic should look like and, you know, what those guys did around that. Well, there's not a lot of people that could hold something together stylistically like that for so long, even only doing it so infrequently. So buy Zap. Read lots of Zap. It's a good starting point, definitely, to to get a taste of a lot of the early pioneers of, of underground cartooning, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, like I was talking about before... And it's know, readily available. It's easy to find. It is, and uh, actually, um, my understanding, I, I was reading that the Fantagraphics is going to be putting out Starting this year and going into next year, I I, I I heard this. I'm not sure if it's still on tap, but they're doing a two-volume slipcover edition of, of reprinting all the Zap comics. Oh, that's cool. Even if you just get, like, the complete crumbs, like, number four, that one, you can find that for, like, 10, 12 bucks, and it's, got, it's, it's oversized, like a magazine, and it's got... Zaps zero and one plus a whole bunch of other stuff of his, including a ton of other stuff. Yeah, you know the Yarrow stocks that he did, which actually led Donahue and to uh, find out who he was and actually go meet Robert Crumb. I'd love to get that one someday. Yarrow stocks number three. It's this underground Philadelphia newspaper back in the sixties, and they essentially just gave him the keys and let him do the entire issue. Oh, wow. And that was uh, before Zap number zero and number one. I think I got the first two collected crumb, you know, complete crumbs. Yeah. And uh, I probably went into a period where I didn't have as much disposable income. <laughs> and yeah. Getting them. But th- those were really good. The first, The first complete crumb is fascinating because it's stuff he did when he was a kid and a teenager. Yeah. And it was really good, you know, when you read it. But it was like funny animal comics. Right. They just actually, re, it just, they just re released it this week. A, a new version of it. New, new printing of it. Yeah. All, all this stuff gets re, reprinted. So I, I don't even know what printing, you know, a lot of these, these zaps are, you know, from the 90s and 2000s. Well, for the 90s and 2000s, it's pretty easy to tell as long as you go to your Fogel Underground price guide because all you need to know is know what the cover price was. It's when you get into zero, one, two, three, you know, essentially all the way up to like six, you know, four or five or six or so where it's really hard to tell. Like I know for Zap Zero, which is one of my all time favorite images in general, um, the original cover I've I've read has like there's a little hairline line in the Z in Zap that you can make out, and uh, I've heard it from several reliable sources. That's a quote surefire sign to know you have the original printing of Zap number zero. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Just a little glitch in the the printing press. Exactly. Well. Uh, you know that that's that that makes it fascinating to me. That's part of what makes it fascinating. You know, to it gives it gives them all it gives them an extra level because there's actually a story in how each one of them got printed too. You know, that, well, it's it's they're all you know each printing and pressing. A lot of times it seemed as if in the early days before everyone jumped on board, it, it was an event. You know. Mm-hmm. To get everything pulled together, yeah, production, I mean, yeah. You think about all that with the stats and no computers. You know, everything was done physically by hand, drawn by hand, and by people who were wasted. 
And so yeah, we're lucky we got them at all. It's true. Let alone all the the rejects and all. It's too bad Don Don and around. I he'd have been a great guy to to have on. With. I mean, and the, you know, I know he spent a lot of time with 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 Dan Fogel over the last several years, and you know, Dan's able to capture a lot of that stuff. But you know, that guy, he. he he was the publisher of the Underground Stars, really, in a lot of ways. At least out of San Francisco. Well, that's it, like ground zero, you know? Sure. It's like being the manager of the Grateful Dead or something like that. Dude. Well, I mean, the Grateful Dead was involved with all that stuff. Right. They were zapping all that stuff. And, you know, Janis Joplin was... There's a picture of Janis Joplin at, with, with Robert Crumb as her date. Well, yeah, he did. he did the famous album cover... Sure. You know, the cheap thrills. Right. Well, some sometime soon we're gonna have to do a an actual R crumb episode because that'll be uh that'll be quite I got a lot of R crumb <laughs> to reference in that. Yeah, I think I think we're about good on Zap Comics this month. Sure. And uh next month, who knows? We'll figure out we'll figure out sometime between now and then what we're gonna do. Right. What we're going to do next. But and, uh, uh, always open to suggestions, too. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious as to whether the people listening are mostly new to this or if they're interested in it and have found a podcast that they can listen to about this stuff or if they're just... Probably just groaning about all the... <laughs> <laughs> if you're a teenager, there's lots of dirty stuff in them undergrounds. Not that sure. you heard it from us. <laughs> Well, if you couldn't figure that out over the last hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, the last about. three episodes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, is it smut or is it art? Or is it both? Why can't it be both? <laughs> Why not have your cake and eat it too or have your smut and hump it too or whatever you want to whatever you want to do to it? Well, then I think that's what Crumb figured out from Wilson. He's like, oh, I guess I can draw stuff so I can jerk off to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> and goodbye. <laughs> with one shot. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com. 
where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.